Welcome to Evolution Impossible, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. Our host is Dr. Sven Estring with special guest Dr. John Ashton and our panel. Hello, I'm Dr. Sven Estring and welcome to Evolution Impossible. The question of where life originally came from intrigues everyone, no matter whether you're a seven-year-old girl or a distinguished professor. However, there is quite a variety of different theories about how life really did come about. In this series, we're going to be exploring the biggest theory in the world today, evolution. It's taught at universities and promoted in the media, but have you ever stopped to ask whether evolution is even possible? According to some experts, that's a question that should not even be raised in schools, which is really quite surprising. It makes me even more curious to explore whether evolution really works or not. Here with me to explore this really big topic is Dr. John Ashton, Ali Turner, Blair Lemke, and Stephen Aveling Rowe. Thanks for joining me today. Now, John, this is not a new topic for you, is it? It's a topic that you've told me you've been exploring for almost 50 years, uh, which is more than I've been alive. And uh, what I wanted to know is this. What got you interested initially in exploring whether evolution really works or not? Well, I started going to church in 1970. And um, at that time, I was working as a research fellow at the University of Tasmania. And when the church folk found out that I was a research scientist, they said, well, do you believe in evolution or, or do you believe in the Bible account of creation? Now, I'd studied geology at, um, at university for, for a while. And so that's when I began researching the, the evidence. Where did the evidence uh, sit? Um, I actually had a friend who was uh, doing his uh, doctorate as well in the area of uh, geochemistry and he was studying a, a gold deposit in New Zealand and had a prospector's uh, shovel handle radiocarbon dated and it came back at 6,600 years uh, from the radiodating laboratory and we both thought to ourselves how can this be that old, you know. When did the mining issue occur? In the 1880s in New Zealand. So, so not 6,000 years ago. <laughs> well, no, we didn't believe that the tree that it was made from would have been the would have been that old. So since then, I've been doing a lot of reading, um, and and then another time I thought, well, why don't I ask scientists who do believe in creation? why they believe in creation. And so I wrote to a number of scientists around the world, leading scientists who I'd found out uh, through, you know, connections were creationists. And uh, they what came What was back. the outcome of that project? Well, the outcome was that I put the articles together and became the book in six days, Why 50 Scientists Choose to Believe in Creation. And that's been a bestseller on Amazon for, well, since 1999 that came out. It's incredible. And then... Uh, it's interesting this this whole concept that the that life arose uh, through random mutations. Now, of course, we know now that uh, since the development and understanding of DNA, that we've got to change the DNA, and, and mutations can change the DNA. So, I was curious. I was meeting actually with some plant breeders um, at the uh, at a leading Australian university, and we were talking a new, about a new project that we were involved in. And I asked the lead plant breeder. Um, you know, do mutations produce new genetic information? And he said, oh yeah, no worries. And so I said, well, can you give me an example? 
and he paused and he hesitated and he said, mm, can't think of one, but he said, ask our chief geneticist. And uh, none of the other guys at the table, we were having lunch at the time, commented. But later that afternoon, I met up with the chief geneticist and asked him the same question. He said, uh, no, never. He said, mutations destroy uh, the information in DNA. But he said, we produce changes, but we're producing changes by destroying DNA, not making new DNA. Interesting. And this was very relevant because really the theory claims that the mutations are producing new DNA. Mm, very interesting. And uh, thank you so much, John. And I just want to really be interested in your perspective as well. So Ali, why are you interested in the topic of evolution and creation? Look, for me, it really began um, during my schooling years. So my older sister, um, she's two years older than I am, she was going through high school and she started um, being taught evolution, of course. And uh, I just um, but naturally became interested as well. She um, started really researching the different arguments for creation versus evolution. Um, yeah, and ever since then, it's been an interest of mine and I've done a lot of reading on the topic. Hmm. What about you, Stephen? Uh, where did your interest arise from? I guess you could say it started around the family dinner table with Dad being a biochemist and teacher in many schools. It's a topic that's foundational to the understanding of the sciences. Mm. And then for me, particularly as I'm into nature and wildlife in a big way, understanding the way speciation occurs and development of these species over time is really fascinating to mm. me. So these are fundamental questions for me. Mm. What about you, Blair? Is it, is it a sort of family kind of uh, affair as well with the whole evolution thing? Yeah, look, for me, uh, I work with a lot of young people, uh, young people of faith, young people who are trying to learn about faith. And one of the key things that always comes up is the discussion of evolution and how that fits in or does it fit in with the Christian worldview, um, you know, as a competing worldview. And so uh, in my role uh, working with young people, uh, that's come up often and it's been a point of interest that has kind of started me asking questions and uh, looking at the biblical account and comparing it against theories that are suggested in science, seeing where the two can fit together and where there's disconnect. Mm. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big question. So it's the big questions of life that mm. all people ask and young people yeah. particularly ask. And it's interesting you should say that, Blair, because they've done research, um, a small research proje uh, project, and what they've found is that as young people accept evolution and they go to university, often their faith is eroded because of that. Mm. Um, so it's a big topic in terms of not only from a science point of view, but also from a faith perspective as, as well. But Stephen, I was just wondering, you know, when you were at, at school with your science classes, uh, what were you taught in terms of evolution? What, what comes to mind uh, in terms of the evolution topic for you? Look, it's, for me, it was a slightly different experience coming from a, a home educated perspective. But with that in mind, nonetheless, I've been well grounded in both perspectives, free to make my own mind up. And so it's through much reading, research, reading books like yours that have helped give me a perspective that I think holds water. Mm. So what, about, what about you, um, Ali, in terms of, did you do science classes and what were the things which were coming through um, in your science education? For me, um, evolution was taught many times through uh, high school and it came through even when we were learning about other topics it would come through again and again um, and it was very much taught as fact very much taught as fact there wasn't um, any question about whether it was true or not um, in the teacher's eyes I guess yeah 
It's interesting that you should say that, Ali, because, John, uh, the fact is for, for all of these guys here, uh, they, they didn't necessarily do science in terms of at university, uh, but even at, at the, the primary school and even in the high school levels, uh, they were really, evolution was really promoted. So I want to know, what is the official position with regards to evolution amongst the, the education experts that you know, are aware of? Yeah, sure. Well, evolution is certainly considered as a fact of science now. And the different science academies around the world um, have published statements to that effect that evolution is now considered a fact of science. What I find is very interesting is that when you read these statements, they're not supported by any scientific evidence. They make assertions that there is a large body of scientific evidence supporting those claims. Now, the interesting thing is, as I've been researching this, there is unfortunately the use of the word evolution is very broad and it can mean just very small changes and sure we have evidence for very small changes but the mechanisms that underpin these small changes are not the same mechanisms that would produce a new type of organism and I think this is a very important point and when I look further there's actually no I haven't been able to find any published paper that provides the evidence for a mechanism that can explain how evolution can be a fact, mm. nor in the geologic, uh, geological publications or paleonto uh, uh, paleontological publications of the fossil record and so forth, they don't show this gradual change of evolution either. They show complete species. So, and I find this is very interesting. So when these organisations make these statements now, they're not supported by a list of references. They're just assertions that is a fact. Now, one interesting thing that I noticed in one textbook when I was at uh, one of the universities in Melbourne in their library one day was that they had this big statement, uh, chapter heading evolution as a, as a fact. And then in another section, a little bit further on in the chapter, it said one of the leading areas that uh, evolutionists are working on is trying to figure out how evolution works how evolution happens. So I'm one say, saying it's a fact, but then they're saying, well, hang on, we actually don't know how it happens. Mm. Yeah. And it certainly comes to mind, you know, books by Richard Dawkins, Jerry Coyne, uh, where they really say evolution is fact, uh, right on the, you know, the very first page. It's an amazing uh, comment. So I guess, uh, John, I mean, this whole series is all going to be about evolution. So we're going to cover a lot of different scientific topics. Uh, but could you just run through with us what is the, the evidence which science, scientists would use to say that evolution is a fact? What, what, what sort of is the pillars that kind of support this idea? Well, I think the main pillars are the belief in the long age for life on Earth as being uh, billions of years old, so somewhere between two and a half to four billion years uh, or maybe 3.8 billion years, they say that this gives a long time, life has evolved over this long period of time. And I think that now we have evidence to question those long ages. So we have a whole lot of data now available to us that says, hang on, this whole uniformitarian principle 
has problems. The radiometric dating methods have major problems. And one of the things that people don't realise is that the radiometric dating methods have actually never been validated for prehistorical dates. So, you know, I worked as a chief chemist for a, a National Association of Testing Authorities uh, registered laboratory. And we had standard methods. The methods had to be validated using standard reference materials. And this is one of the inter interesting facts that with radiometric dating, it hasn't been validated. And there are a lot of other evidence that we now have that suggests that, hang on, the biblical picture of a young Earth, of young life on Earth, actually fits the data much better. But of course, secular science doesn't want to go there. They don't want to know anything about the Bible record. They want to be able to explain things in material things. But they're running into major problems in all the areas. You know, not only in biology, but in space science, in our understanding of time, a whole lot of these uh, areas are really raising questions, particularly on these long ages, and are pointing all the time in the direction of the biblical picture, which mm -hmm. I find is really exciting. But the issue is that this information, this new research, isn't getting out to the young people. It's not being taught in, in our schools. You know, they're still sticking with these, this old curricula that now the evidence is very, very shaky and crumbling. Mm. Mm. And just um, wanted to ask you guys, did you have any questions for, uh, for Dr. Ashton, you know, with regards to this idea that science is fact and, and um, evolution is fact and science really says that this is the, the way that life came about? Mm. Look, I was, um, I was actually going to ask you, um, just in relation to tertiary education for scientists and, and um, I guess how that's structured, because I'd always thought that scientists were almost by definition taught to question the data. Um, yeah, to question theories, to question conclusions and test things again and again to prove science. So when you're talking about evolution just being taught as a fact without even references and that kind of thing, I'm just um, yeah, wondering, I guess, whether how they are taught to think. Are they taught to think critically? Is, is this, does this happen with other theories or is it just evolution that you see that, um, this happening with? I'm wondering if there's maybe just an agenda behind the the teaching of evolution? I, I don't think there's necessarily an agenda, uh, but most uh, scientists are going to teach evolution because that's what they've been taught. They've been taught it in their science class, they've had to examine it. They haven't actually been taught to, to question it. And really, in a way, it has become a sacred cow uh, by scientists who are fairly political. So we have certain groups of scientists that are fairly political in that they are definitely pushing an agenda that God must be kept out of the classroom, that all the explanations of the physical world have physical explanation. There is no super natural, there is no non-material existence. Now, one of the areas that challenge this, of course, is the mind, is consciousness. Mm -hmm. And Thomas Nagel, professor of philosophy at the University of New York, has uh, questioned this uh, recently in the book Mind and the Cosmos, because that's a non-material entity. And he has actually begun to question that um, the Darwinian explanation can actually explain things. In fact, now um, a large number of scientists, over a thousand scientists who have doctorate qualifications in the area uh, related to biology, molecular biology, zoology, paleontology and so forth, have signed a statement that they are sceptical that Darwin's theory 
can actually explain the diversity of life on Earth. And they have set up a website, descentfromdarwin.org, one word, mm. descentfromdarwin.org. So over a thousand scientists have signed that now. And I think this is what's happening, is that scientists are now feeling a little bit more freedom now and are stepping out. Whereas if you go back, say, 10 years ago, if a scientist spoke out against this, he was likely to, to lose his job. And I think there was evidence for this, uh, for example, when um, uh, Dr. Avital, who was uh, the chief scientist for the Israeli Ministry of Health, was newly appointed. And one of the things he said was, well, I, I don't want our students just being taught that we evolved from monkeys. I don't believe we evolved from monkeys. I want them to be able to look at other options. He was then uh, immediately asked to resign. And, mm. and they sacked, in fact. Mm. So that's a, you know, a very high level. You know, Israel, very high stand of education. Their chief scientists within their Ministry of Education questioned evolution. And there was such a protest by a small number of other scientists. And that led to him being sacked. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So th that's the background that some scientists have been operating in. Mm. So then following on from that, I mean, we're often taught that the, the mechanism for evolution is natural selection. And that's that's touted as the way that everything is able to evolve and become what it is, you know, from microbe to microbiologist. You know, so talk us through that. Would you explain your perspective on natural selection and actually what, what that does? Right, well, <laughs> this is probably an area that we're going to take uh, a lot more <laughs> time to, uh, uh, to get into. But we do observe natural selection in nature. And yeah. that is that, sure, uh, if you have, say, for example, dogs and they happen to find there's a really cold snap uh, come over, then the dogs with longer hair are going to survive better. The others yeah. might, you know, freeze out. So they'll breed and preserve those genes for long hair in that particular cold area. So we know, for example, there were ice ages in the past and these sort of things. So any, you know, dogs like that caught in that sort of environment, they're going to, with the short hair, they'll die. Or another classic example cited on the Smithsonian site is that um, you've got the example of, uh, say, mice out in a, in a desert area. Um, the uh, mice migrate into a desert area where there's sort of yellow sand. The dark mice are going to be more easily picked off by the birds. And mm -hmm. so only the uh, paler fur mice are going to breed. And so you're going to have a selection which improves survival in that area. The important aspect of that is that that's not new code. That's mm -hmm. loss of code. Right. It's loss of that genetic information. And this is a very important aspect where uh, Darwin Siri proposed two things, that you have mutations and then you have natural selection. It's the mutations that are supposed to produce new code. The natural selections then, out of all the supposed random, you know, uh, on all the different types of new organisms that were supposed to arise, natural selection would then uh, select for the best ones because the environment would destroy the others. They wouldn't survive very well. And so natural selection is not a way of producing new organisms. It's a way of just eliminating the ones that aren't surviving. Mm. So it, the, yeah. the whole theory of evolution powerfully depends on the mechanism of mutations being able to produce new organisms. And that's its weak point. To date, there's no evidence that that happens. Mm. Wow. 
Yeah, Dr. John, I, um, I had a question. I was wondering, you know, earlier on you talked about this theory of evolution that where assertions are made, but there's no real scientific data or papers to support the underlying mechanisms to make it happen. Um, I guess the question that I'm having, and I mean, there's even papers that disprove those mechanisms and things like this. So the question I'm wondering is why uh, in the scientific world, uh, you know, is there, do people just, do scientists just not know about this? Are they disingenuous and not, you know, dealing with this data and this new information? Or, you know, what, is it something else? How, why, is, why is there so much skepticism or lack of... Um, acceptance of some of these, or questioning of, of evolution? Well, look, let me give you a, a personal experience. Um, back in about 2006, the, the Discovery Institute in uh, America, which promotes intelligent de design, circulated DVDs on the evidence for intelligent design in nature um, to all the high schools in Australia. And the Biology Teachers Association of Australia put in full page advertisements uh, saying, don't show this DVD, we think that it's not scientific and, and so forth. And there were quite a few discussion articles about this in uh, scientific journals. And uh, one of those uh, articles was published in uh, Chemistry Australia, which is the Royal Australian Chemical Institute Journal. And in that, uh, there was a professor who spoke up and said, well, look, if we taught intelligent design, we would need to teach spoon bending, alien abduction, you know, astrology, all these crazy things. And I thought, this is so wrong. There are highly educated scientists such as myself who recognise the overwhelming evidence for creation as opposed to evolution. So I sent in an article to Chemistry Australia uh, titled uh, A Creationist View of the Intelligent Design Debate. And I listed my evidence and I cited my references, about 10 references referring to the historical and peer review literature supporting my position. As soon as that journal came out, which was the April 2007 issue of Chemistry Australia, a number of scientists in Australia wrote to the Royal Australian Chemical Institute and said, Professor Ashton has used, you know, made up arguments, Professor Ashton has used debunked articles, uh, arguments, essentially called me a liar and said, this is going to damage your reputation. So they pulled that article, even though it was a feature article in the journal and it had been peer reviewed and I'd made the corrections according to the reviewers. And so, of course, they couldn't recall the journal, but the online issue deleted that. Mm -hmm. And so... This, is the, this was it, and the, in the following uh, issue, the May issue, 2007 of Chemistry Australia, the, they published the letters by those three scientists. And, that, and that's uh, essentially how I know what they said. Now, what I decided to do was ring them up and have a talk to them. Because, you know, I'm a scientist. If you have a problem with what I'm saying, show me where I'm wrong. I'm interested in learning. Now, a couple of them I couldn't get through to, but one guy I did get through to. And uh, I spoke to him and I said, look, um, I'm Dr. John Ashton. I understand you weren't very happy with my article in Chemistry in Australia. And um, he, you know, he sort of changed his tack. And I said, you know, you, you claim that I'm wrong. And I said, where's the evidence that I'm wrong? And his reply was, well, we don't have the evidence at the moment, but we will. Hmm. I mean, this, what sort of evidence is that? You know, it's a Jesus is coming again. <laughs> 
and he will. You know, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus yeah. coming again. You That's know, strong faith. Not in a crazy theory that they don't actually have evidence. But this gives you an idea of the political oomph that some of the people have. And what they're trying to do is to, at that stage, was to stop scientists from publishing reputable journals. I had a reputable rep reputation. And this censorship has been occurring for some time, but it's being broken down now as more leading scientists are speaking out and saying, hang on guys, like Jerry Fodor, mm -hmm. a professor of philosophy at uh, Rutgers University in the US, couldn't get his paper, Why Pigs Don't Have Wings, published in a science journal, so he had to publish it in the London Review of Books or, or whatever. So John, um, we'd be really interested, I mean, the whole series will be looking at this topic, but could you just summarize, you know, since the 1990s, which is quite a while ago, um, scientists and philosophers have been identifying reasons why um, evolution doesn't work, why we should be skeptical about it. Could you just maybe give us a bird's eye view, quick skim over, what, what, what's that evidence which has been found? Well, I think that as we learn more about DNA, mm -hmm. the structure of DNA and the molecular machines that exist in the simplest cells are just so complex, they can't arise by chance. Even the probability of a simple gene arising by the orders of different you know, amino acids coming together. Mathematicians have looked at that and shown that it's astronomically impossible. You know, like the, the, rate, the probability is less than finding a particular atom in a universe, well, if there were as many universes as there are atoms in the universe, finding a particular atom in one of those universes. It'll take a very long time. <laughs> so we know mathematically it's impossible. But biologists, for some reason, don't seem to be able to accept that, hang on, these reactions are random chemical reactions. Therefore, the probabilistic evidence really applies to this sort of scenario and it doesn't work. It's absolutely mm. impossible. Mm. That's the main reason. Plus, we're not finding the evidence there. Mm. No mechanism yet. And you also mentioned in your book that there is not only sociological reasons to, to believe in evolution now, but there was sociological reasons to, um, to accept evolution back in Darwin's time. There, there was a social kind of um, situation which led them to, to really want to, to accept it. Could you just run, what, what was it at Darwin's time? What were they thinking about well, that made that, them want to accept evolution? Yeah, sure. Well, that was the development of the mechanical worldview. Right. Machines, Machines had just been developed yes. and they were really taking off and in the 1800s, the steam engine, all this sort of thing, that was a massive scientific development of machines. And Darwin's theory provided a mechanical model for life. Right. That was the clinch. It was a mechanical model that showed evolution. They mm. saw the evolution of machines, and now they had a mechanical model for life, and mm. that just took off. Mm. I guess a question for, for uh, you guys' panel. How do you feel when you hear about top scientists, like the you know, chief scientists in the Israeli state, the government, uh, being sacked because they simply questioned yeah. evolution? It just seems very unscientific. Uh, science is the pursuit of knowledge and information and testing, um, and it just seems very emotional and... Um, yeah, it just doesn't seem scientific. It's very unscientific, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think it's quite outrageous when you consider that in the very recent past, you know, scientists believed in things like spontaneous generation and they believed in things like a flat earth, you know, to, not have, to have a theory that can't be questioned and you'll be sacked if you question it, I think mm. is, is mm. quite outrageous. Mm. Without protecting freedom of speech, we cannot have a development of, and further understanding 
of these critical issues. Mm. Mm. As you can see, this is a really, really important topic, and I can imagine that you wish you were actually here with us. Well, the good news is that you can join us by getting uh, Dr. John Ashton's book, It's Evolution Impossible. Uh, you can order it through a number of online bookstores uh, right around the world, which is really good. What a fascinating discussion. We're only just getting into the topic. Will we be back next time to dig deeper into the theory that Darwin developed which literally changed the world. We look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you for joining us on Evolution Impossible, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. If you have any comments or questions, send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au or call us within Australia on 024973 3456. We'd love to hear from you.